Episode 7, Bastions of Hope, Part 1. Hi, this is Dragnacarta, DM for Curse of Strahd, Twice Bitten. You're listening to the Twice Bitten Podcast, a campaign where five Curse of Strahd DMs head back into the mists for a hauntingly familiar adventure. Starring Jack as Betrion, Kaya as Lillison, Linus as Amity, Serena as Kiva, and Twy as Deer. You can catch the horror live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Twitch at twitch.tv slash rcurseofstrahd, or watch new episodes every Monday on YouTube at youtube.com slash c slash rcurseofstrahd. You can also listen to new episodes of this podcast weekly at anchor.fm slash twice-bitten, or wherever you like to syndicate your podcasts. Now, let's get right to Ravenloft. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Curse of Strahd Twice Bitten, the show where five DMs take on D&D's spookiest gothic horror campaign. I am Dragnacarta, your host and DM, and a big thank you to everyone for continuing to tune in. Just another quick pre-stream announcement. Serena, I think you had something. All right, so I'm going to be saying this in my Kiva accent because I'm nervous about dropping it. So we are surveying our current audience to find out where, how, and why you watch Twice Bitten, plus how you'd prefer to engage with it. So please take one to two minutes to fill out our new audience survey at tinyurl.com slash poll. A big thank you to everyone who's able and to the dozens of people who've already filled it out. With that, let's get started with Curse of Strahd, Twice Bitten. A striking elven female with an almost ritualized poise, Kiva Cyrilai always endeavors to be a level-headed mediator and a soothing presence in the lives of all she meets. Determined to look ever forward, she relies on controlling day-to-day chaos. Anyone who watches her for long enough, however, can clearly see there's something undeniably feral and unpredictable bubbling under the surface. In the company of these fine strangers, he is just Metrion. But across the Sword Coast, he's known as Metrion the Magnificent. He is a tiefling whose body and dress carry the signatures of a nomadic performer, as evidenced by the rougher edges of his costume and his sinewy frame covered in faded tattoos. Though he may not look like a typical magician, rest assured, he cleans up quite handsomely. The well-dressed, well-spoken half-elf who introduced herself as Lilisen has stayed away from the rest of the traveling group during the journey so far. Oh, she's friendly enough if someone strikes up a conversation with her. Charming, even. But left to her own devices, she invariably keeps to herself, and even looks nervous when anyone comes within ten feet of her. Amity, a terrifying deviloid, with a tail that will knock your drink over if she gets too excited. Even worse, some pig follows her around and eats almost as much as she does. Yet, she's generous and easy to befriend, especially if you get her talking about her book of fables. Just, if she compares you to a fox, it's hard to tell if that's a compliment. 
Erythrindir is a high elf man who looks perpetually like he's never quite got enough sleep. After his departure from elven society, he found himself out in the wilderness, working as a ranger in the deep, deep woods. However, this did little to quell his passion for history, and he's found himself on the road to Neverwinter, hoping to track down a book that might hold the answer to a question he's held for a long, long time. Last we left off on Curse of Strahd, Twice Bitten. Spirited away to the dark and unfamiliar land of Barovia, our five travelers found their way to a village of the same name, tucked in the shadow of the twisted Castle Ravenloft. As they explored the village streets, the party was lured into the home of the Durst family and trapped within its haunted halls. With their wits and will, they escaped the deadly house for the mist-strewn streets of Barovia, though not without suffering heavy wounds, both physical, emotional, and spiritual. As they recovered on the streets of the village, Erthrandir purchased a collection of delicious pies from an elderly vendor. These dream pastries blessed Lilison, Amity, and Erthrandir with blessed faraway dreams, while Metrion and Kiva scouted the village beyond. In the Blood of the Vine Tavern, they met Ismark Kolyanovich, the son of the late local burgomaster. In exchange for warm beds and food for the night, the party agreed to consider helping Ismark transport his sister, Irina Kolyana, to the fortified town of Vallaki nearby. They learned that Irina had caught the eye of Strahd von Zarevich, a vampire, and the Count of Castle Ravenloft. That night, as they evaluated their options, Amity joined Erthrandir and Kiva for a ghastly display. The spirits of dozens of dead adventurers, marching from the Barovian cemetery and vanishing down the western road. Meanwhile, as he slept, Metrion received an eerie midnight visit from a mysterious entity, and a bargain for power and potential freedom that he soon accepted. And so, you find yourselves at rest. The night is quiet. As it continues, the three that made their way to the cemetery, one by one making their way back to the mansion, as Metrion sleeps restlessly in the wake of his midnight bargain. The night passes slowly like molasses, each minute dragging by, for some of you restlessly, for others wishing for a dreamless sleep, or perhaps of dreams that have yet to come. Instead of the bright visions that you so recently experienced, others of you find hollowness, a void in your dreams, or simple nightmares that twist and torment you like the fogs of Barovia. Erthrandir and Kiva are the first to awaken as their trances end and the elves come to consciousness as the early morning and late night darkness still clings to the skies overhead. Kiva, as you slowly come to consciousness, you hear the rustling of wings from outside the window. And as you peer through the cracks and the boards attached there, you see dozens and dozens of bats perched from the gutters and the shingles of the next door roof, hanging upside down, their tiny red eyes staring toward your window in the night. Kiva, upon seeing this, is just going to turn away and wrap her cloak tighter around herself very protectively, almost like um, a kid would do with a blanket. And then she's going to sort of sneak out of the room, trying not to wake everyone else. 
and will go downstairs to the kitchen and try to sit by the fire to be warm. The fire is kept going, although it's died down a bit. You see Lillison curled up on the floor in the corner next to the pantry, a small threadbare moth-eaten blanket pulled over her smaller form. The fire is cozy and warm as best as it can be, and the crackling of the ember is a comforting distraction from the ghostly wail of the wind beyond the shuddering windows. So she's going to not wake Lillison. She is going to get as close as possible to the fire and just sort of sit there and try to get warm. As this happens, Erthrandir, you hear a chittering from your own window and glancing between the boarded up shutters, you notice the same sight. Dozens of small black bat bodies, the red eyes glaring at you in the night. He's going to blearily roll out of bed, doing his best not to disturb Matreon, and kind of step up to the window to look at the assorted bodies. Looking out the window toward what lies beyond, it seems just swarms of bats just clinging quietly in the night, hanging from gutters and shingles, from darkened, shattered windows. You see one hanging from the sign of a long, boarded-up shop, and every one of their eyes is affixed upon your window and the one beside it. They do not move. They simply stare and wait in the darkness. Well, that's not remotely normal. Can he tell what kind of bats they are? Make a nature check. Alrighty. That is a seven. As far as you can tell, they seem like mundane bats. There's nothing indicating anything out of the ordinary other than their uh, unusual behavior, as far as you can tell. Huh. Maybe they're keeping a bunch of rotten fruit in the attic or something. Well, none of my business. And he's going to shut the blinds a little nervously, rustle in his pack, grab a small kettle and a pouch of tea, and sort of carefully tiptoe downstairs where he kind of sees Kiva and flinches a bit. Oh, shoot, I'm, I'm sorry. Good morning. No need to apologize. Um, I just figured I'd try to get warm, but um, Lillison is still asleep, so maybe we should keep our voices down. Yeah, yeah, of course. And he's going to fill the kettle with water, set it to steeping, and then sort of sit down by the fire next to her, kind of carefully not looking in her direction. You sleep well? Uh, as well as I could, I suppose. Um, last night was so strange. I, I'm not sure how I feel about it yet, but um, it was nice to at least be in a bed. <laughs> You're telling me. I, uh, I did not realize I was looking forward to it so much until I got to one. How is Metreon as a bedfellow? <laughs> well, let's just say that his attitudes towards sleeping with someone apparently stopped evolving once he got out of primary school. He is a very, very uh, persnickety, I believe the word is. He does not want me anywhere close to, to him. <laughs> well, um, you know, some people take a little bit of time before cuddling with others, so I also <laughs> kept my distance from Amity. Just, I figured she needed space and rest. Well, reasonable enough. At any did rate, you, yeah. Did you see the the bats outside yeah no it's odd wouldn't think this would be their country but i guess maybe there's not a lot of food sources and maybe their dad used to feed them or something i knew a man like that who would just have a big roost full of birds on his roof that they'd always congregate to maybe colian was think... an enthusiast 
Well, do you think maybe it's, um, it's the, the vampire sending his sort of, um, eyes on Irina? I mean, I don't know what vampires are capable of, frankly, but that's, frankly, I don't see it. That's using, like, animals as spies is... You'd either need to be a powerful magician or druid or something, or to, you know, just be able to talk to them naturally. And nothing about big undead man who lives in a castle really suggests that, so I don't think so. Kiva looks very relieved by that thought process. She's like, okay, that makes sense. So clearly it's just paranoia and she's going to settle down and uh, say, yeah, you're right. I, I'm sorry. I don't know a lot about magic. I've never really been a, a magician myself. <laughs> well, I frankly, I probably means you live a happier life because of it. The more I learn about it, the more I wish I didn't. But you're welcome. I'm glad I could give you a bit of comfort. He kind of looks over at Lillison as he takes the tea off the fire. Well, this is a... Not to be blunt, but this is a bit of an odd situation we've ended up in, isn't it? You know, we... I didn't expect to have y'all as traveling companions for more than maybe a week or two, and it appears we may be stuck together for a good bit longer if we're to believe Mr. Koyan and Irina. Yeah, I, I sort of... I'm having trouble reconciling the fact that I won't be going to Neverwinter anytime soon. I I wasn't really excited to go, necessarily. It was just a, something to do. felt like the necessary next step. But um, yeah, and now that the option's taken away from me, I find myself wanting it more than I ever thought I would. <laughs> I can get that, I suppose. For me, it's more that it was travel. It was somewhere to go. It was something to do. It was two or three weeks of a break from monotony. You know, it didn't really matter what it was for, although I do still want that book, but it was something. A break in the gray. I would have thought the life of a historian would be much more exciting than just a little bit of gray. <laughs> he laughs and it sounds a tiny bit broken. Yeah, about that. Not really. I mean, sure, if I were going on archaeological digs and getting up magnificent finds, but most of my work, if you can call it that, is sitting in a room, taking up journals and letters and diaries and old street signs sometimes, and meticulously documenting them and what they say in my own handwriting in a few languages and shipping them back to the museum. Ad nauseum. I'm sort of torn between saying that you would love my father and you would hate my father because uh, we also worked in the artifact trade, although um, not necessarily above board. Um, <laughs> he loved history though, and, and I think he would have found your stories uh, quite entertaining. Yeah, no, he sounds like quite a person. Although, I admit, the bit about a smattering of criminality is no longer a surprise. I got in the sense that most of us are carrying one thing or another, but I would have loved to meet him. He is uh, a very special special man, and, uh, and I miss him very terribly, especially in times like this. I feel like he could tell me what to do or, or where to go, and um, 
and I don't have that, so I'm sort of, uh, perhaps, uh, inappropriately relying on the group to be a leader for me. I've always needed a direction. Well, I'm glad you have something, at least. From what happened in the basement, I was afraid that, uh, you were going a direction none of us wanted. I thought so for a long time as well, but Lillison, um, really changed my perspective, and I thought I lost her down there. I wasn't going to let her sacrifice be in vain, and now that she's back, it still seems rather cruel to waste the gift that she gave me. And she's sort of looking very fondly at Lillison as she sleeps. Well, whatever reason you have to keep going, it's a good one. Doesn't really matter. But, yeah, no, she's she's good people. I'm not even sure what time it is. I feel like we don't really need the sort of rest that other people need, but, um... I do. <laughs> it I seems, could um, sleep forever after what we've just I feel like through. I could go back to sleep for the next three days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that about the same sentiment here. <laughs> uh, but we've got things to do. At least what I was thinking of was, um... Oh, maybe actually... You could help me with this. And she's going to go into her backpack and pull out the three scrolls that they took from the skeleton's chest in the Durst house and uh, open them up and start to look them over and see if Deer can recognize what they might be or what they're used for. Can he? So you pull out the scrolls and begin pouring through them. Deer, looking over all three of them, you've no idea what they could mean. They're in some sort of indecipherable arcane script, but whatever the meaning is, it's beyond your own training. No idea. Which is a rare thing for me to say. Yeah, no, I hold on to them, I suppose, but for all I know, it's some gobbledygook they put together when trying to summon their nice cult beast. For all the good, that did them the bastards. Okay, I'm going to try to take a look at them myself, I suppose, then, to see if maybe I can discern something in them. Sure, you can try. All right, is there anything more you'd wish to do during these uh, witching hours of the night, or will you be returning mm -hmm. to your tea in the quiet of the kitchen? Probably the latter. He will pour Kiva a cup of it if she wants it, but otherwise he's just going to enjoy the fire. Yeah, Kiva will take the tea graciously and then spend the rest of the morning looking over the scrolls. Very good. And as you look at the scrolls, they do prove frustratingly impossible to comprehend. As Erthrandir sips the tea and slowly the fire ducks down over the hours, the sky gradually begins to brighten, not to a blue or to an orange or a red, but to a simple lighter shade of gray. And in time... You realize, looking out the window, that morning has come to Barovia. As you do, you hear the flutter and flapping of many dozens of pairs of wings, and looking out, you can see the swarms taking off into the sky, vanishing into the mists that hover over the village, as slowly upstairs, your three compatriots come awake. Amity, Metreon, and Lillison in the kitchen, as you awaken and find Kiva and Erthrandir, potentially nearby, depending on whether they've lingered here. Yep. The day is yours. Yeah. What would you like to do? Metreon will kind of... <sighs> oh. oh, shit. 
uh, kind of rub his tummy, uh, realizing that he's now in this big old bed by himself. Uh, will kind of take a moment to recline and stretch, and then uh, he'll feel like a very faint tension, a very faint pain on his pectoral uh, right above his heart, and look down and realize what he had done to himself last night. And there's this moment, this pause of reconciling that, and he'll kind of brush it off and he's going to go ahead and realizing that he's still in someone else's house very quickly apply his disguise kit his darkened hair his tanner skin uh human skin and he'll go ahead and go wake up amity uh, he'll also make sure to gather all of his things put the topaz pendant in the bag but he's keeping the rings on because he's got to be a little bit flashy but he'll put on his clothes and uh he'll head towards amity all right what is amity doing when she wakes up amity wakes up sort of groggily stumbling out of bed uh, then remembering her bad foot reaching for the sort of cane that is marked uh, and Irina gave uh, I was a I was a real brat to them last night wasn't I no 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 love you uh, you're right I mean and uh, Metreon kind of standing in the doorway nods towards your mangled ankle no listen uh, you've been through a lot uh, and uh has a little one. And uh, he points over at Truffle. He doing alright? Uh, Amity wakes Truffle up, sort of patting him on the head. Truffle happily trots up and sniffles around a bit, nuzzling Amity's hand before he kind of trots over to Metreon and just bumps against his shin, snuffling happily and greeting. Metreon's body tenses up a bit as soon as Truffle starts to nuzzle his shin and he'll just like let it happen but he's there's this like tension that is very visible on him yeah yeah that's good um uh, so anyway uh we getting the fuck out of here what, what are we doing i i agree we are but no I, I think i really was a brat last night i mean they just met some complete strangers they'd never known in their life and they offered us just hospitality not even knowing who we were i mean we could have been trying to like rob them blind or something and their father just died they said so i I mean, it's not too late to roll him blind. Amity <laughs> looks at him questioningly. Uh, I'm teasing, love. I'm teasing. Uh, <laughs> listen, uh, you want me to go get you something to eat? Uh, or you got rations in here? I'm I'm going to pay them back. And uh, Amity is going to go downstairs and wait, wait, hold on, try hold on, to make... Hold on. Seeing oh, Amity okay. trying to get up and like trying to operate in the same ways that she's been doing. Uh, he'll rush towards her and start to like help her get out of bed and uh, grab the kind of makeshift crutch that Irina gave her and give it to her. Uh, just just slow down there. You don't have to rush to do anything right now. All right, I'll slow down, but I've got to learn how to use this myself, at least until we get to like a, a cleric in the a town or something. So don't like help me out. I'm just going to learn how to do this myself. Fair enough. He backs away, kind of throwing his arms up. See you downstairs. Amity's gonna go downstairs and then probably try to start making like corn cakes or pancakes or something. Probably not even checking whether all the ingredients are there before she starts. The two of you making your way down the stairs. To the left, you can hear uh, Kiva and Erthrandir quietly moving around in the kitchen. And to the right, you can hear additional footsteps from the drawing room in which you recall the Burgomaster's body lies. And as you do, Kiva and Lillison, you can hear this as well from the kitchen, just quietly muffled voices at first and then slowly raising 
you hear Irina and Ismark's voices. Ismark saying, Irina, come on, we can't be too careful about this. And Irina responds, Ismark, come on, it's been three days, more than that by now. Maybe he's just given up, maybe he's gotten bored. We don't need to live our lives in fear. Kiva, you can just faintly see him shake his head. What if he's just waiting? What if he's biding his time? We can't risk it. Rovi is not safe. Irina opens her mouth to respond, and then she turns and sees Metreon and Amity descending the stairs in the hallway and closes her mouth. As she turns, Ismark offers a small smile and a wave. Good morning. I hope that you slept well. Oh, I could have slept better, but yeah. Uh, no, I, I mean, it, it, was, uh, it was great. It was fantastic. Uh, lovely accommodations. Um, how, are, how did you all sleep? Is this addressed to Ismark and Arena, or are yes, you moving Ismark along and addressing... Uh, Ismark and Arena, and any, anyone else who's in the room. Gotcha. So you can hear a few people moving around from the kitchen. They don't seem to be here right now, uh, but if anyone in the kitchen would like to join this conversation, you're welcome to. In response to Metreon's question, Ismark shrugs his shoulders, kind of rolling his head on his neck. It was uh, as well as could be expected. There were a few uh, noises in the night, but hopefully nothing untoward, I hope. You can't afford to be too careful. You look a bit tense in the neck. Do you need a bit of a, a neck massage? Uh, I'll, I'll think. I, I think I should be all right for now, but I, I will let you know if it gets much worse. Thank you. Of course, of course. So, um, my friend, uh, my friend here, and he'll point out at Amity. I believe she's uh, looking for the kitchen. Irina nods. Right. It's um here. Let me let me uh, show you over there. I hope that uh, you're doing all right. If you would like. Uh, my brother and I were just about to see if we could put something together for a morning meal. Perhaps we could, uh, I don't know, we could uh, put together something to eat if you're hungry. Yeah, um, definitely. I'll, I'll, I'll help. Um, maybe like pancakes or something? Irina blinks. Oh, I, I don't know that I'm familiar with those. Uh, how, what are they? How do you make them? It's like a flat piece of bread that's like fluffy. Um, you can put fruit on it. Oh, that sounds that sounds really good actually. Can can you show me how to make it? Yeah, sure. Um I just wanna to apologize for last night. I mean you invited some random strangers into your house. You've never even met us before. It was very kind of you. Ismark steps up behind her and chuckles. It is not a problem. Again, it is it is nothing less than we could offer by duty another. We we could not bear to see you encounter anything alone. These lands can be dangerous, and we're grateful that you were able to find your way safely. In the meantime, if you would like to uh, make anything, I would love to learn as well. I do enjoy cooking a bit, and it might also be best if I accompany you if my sister is going to be joining. She is, uh, you might say, uh, culinarily challenged. Irina shoots him a glare <laughs> and pushes him on the shoulder as Mark chuckles but just kind of rubs it. That was probably warranted, but it does not mean that I am any less correct. Don't worry, this one's super easy. Ismark nods and Irina looks intrigued. All right then, if you don't mind uh, showing us a look. Amity will get to um, showing them how to make pancakes. Hopefully they end up having all the ingredients. It's close. They have, you know, basic flour. They have, you know, it takes you a good like 20 minutes to search the pantry, but you finally find a little jar that has like a few dregs of sugar left that you like, okay, maybe this will work out. There's a bit of goat's milk that you kind of approximate as best you can with the ingredients. And overall, you you actually manage a reasonable approximation of pancakes. It's not perfect. The accommodations aren't exact. But by the time you're done, 
they are smelling very good. While people are in the kitchen making pancakes, Lillison, who appears at first glance to still be asleep, just sort of manages to uh, roll herself over strategically so that she's out of people's way against the wall. Yeah, as Ismark and Irina come into the kitchen, Kiva stands very suddenly and like does this like half bow, but she also sort of spills her tea a little bit. It's very awkward and uncoordinated. And she like nods at Ismark and then nods, but isn't looking at Irina and decides to walk out of the kitchen. While everyone's in the kitchen, Metreon noticing everyone file away towards that area, he would actually like to go ahead and search through Irina and Ismark's rooms. All right, I'm assuming you're trying to do so uh, quietly. I am. So with that, go yes, ahead. Yes, please make a stealth check for me. It's a 22. 22. You search through the rooms, tiptoeing as quietly as you can while the others are downstairs. You find, you know, the simple items, a wardrobe, a bed. You find on one side some evidence of, you know, a small personal whetstone mounted on one side in Ismark's room. In the wardrobe, you find a number of traveler's cloaks and some other items. You find one simple, beautiful, but aged, faded with time, blue dress in Arena's wardrobe that has clearly been lovingly cared for and taken care of for many generations. You also find what seems to be a bit of slightly disassembled breastplate armor lying across the base of the wardrobe in Irina's room. Otherwise, searching around, is there anything specific you're looking for? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking for either small valuables or, like, any sort of physical clues as to their identity or any kind of, like, journals or anything like that. Sure, make an investigation check for me. Ooh, seven. Seven. Glancing through the chamber as best you can, you don't find anything of immediate note. You find in Irina's wardrobe, kind of tucked away in a small corner, a, a rapier that has been, you know, clearly well-polished and well-kept just hanging from a small spike in the side of the wardrobe. In Ismark's room, you find a few small books dealing with assorted topics, mostly regarding swordplay. Uh, you find one basic book regarding monsters and creatures of the night and how they can be undone and defeated. There's a bit of basic information in there. It appears to have been written by some doctor or monster hunter. The contents seem, you know, fairly well put, but not overly in-depth. There are a number of pages that have been ripped out or inked over over the years, and it obviously seems very well-worn. Metron's going to take that book and look at it. Are there any, just because it's speaking about monsters and things like that, are there any passages about vampires? There is one passage as you kind of take a few minutes to flip through. It discusses a few minor things. It's mostly, you know, textual description of the kind of creature a vampire is, information that you've learned about how they tend to stalk their prey and drink their blood, how they are creatures of the night turned toward the undead. In somewhat more depth than you've read before, it discusses how a vampire must rest in its coffin during the day and how they cannot enter a residence without invitation from the occupants. Okay. Yeah, he'll actually, he'll take it. Kind of shove it away in one of his inner jacket pockets. And question for Aerith and Deer and Amity. Did you all take your belongings with you or are they in your rooms? They're in my room. Uh, yeah, same. So Metreon is going to spend the rest of the time going through their things. Oh my god. Okay. Exciting. <laughs> all right. Is there anything? Are you looking for similar items? Yeah, just like looking through their things and seeing if there's valuables, but also more importantly, kind of context clues about who these people are that I'm now traveling with. Deer is kind of disappointingly bare. There's what you've seen him use, longbow, wand, weapons, arrows and such. But there's also 
a book which, when you crack it open, kind of lets out a cloud of dust. It is obviously pretty old and very worn. And it's an elvish, you can't read it. In addition, it looks like there's a few letters in there. It looks like addressed to Erthrandir as opposed to from Roll of Parchment. Not much more. He is disappointingly poor. There is two gold in there. He won't take the gold, but are the letters in Elvish as well? Common, actually. He'll read them. Okay, I'll summarize, but the gist is they're the sort of thing you write to check in with someone you haven't seen in a very long time and aren't sure are going to get a response for, where you kind of try and cover all the ground you can, talking about birthdays and weddings and funerals to kind of get as much ground. And at the end, a encouragement to write back signed from two people that you assume to be his parents yeah he'll put it uh he'll just read it and then put it away as nicely as he can as he found it and then go through amity stuff all right probably the most interesting thing to you in amity stuff is the nine gold but you will also find a uh, simple lamp the crossbow from death house of course a red rock that's sort of flat and shaped like a heart a letter seems to be from a merchant in Neverwinter asking her to come. And, of course, her quill and book, uh, which is, like, leather-bound and full of, like, sewed-on patches. Or on the covers, rather. And is the book just full of, like, story? Like, is it in common? Is it something that he could read? Yeah, it's in common. It is indeed full of stories with a few pictures as well. Is he taking a particular interest in any aspect of it? It seems to be mostly, like, fables, fairy tales. He's looking mostly for personal stuff, but if it just seems kind of like more, like nothing sticking out as being personal, then he's just kind of like flipping through it. Yeah, no, if there's any personal details in this book, it's couched in metaphor. Okay, yeah, he's not great with metaphor. So he's going to go ahead <laughs> and put the book away. He's going to look at this stone. Does this, uh, and I don't know what I would do to figure it out, but does this stone resonate with anything or does it mean anything that, like, does Metreon pick up on anything about it? It's not like a gemstone. Like, it doesn't have that, like, cut or, like, translucence. It's just more like a, a flat, like, red rock. It doesn't send, like, energy into him, if that's what you're asking. Okay. Yeah. No, if it's just kind of, like, mundane, he'll shrug and put everything, again, back into the bag as best as he can as he found it. And kind of look around, check himself out in the mirror, make sure his makeup and hair are all in order. And he will head downstairs with the others. As you do, and a few moments earlier, Kiva, as you leave the room, you hear footsteps falling behind you. As you turn, you see Irina a few steps behind you, holding hand up. Um, I'm sorry, I, I just... Do you have a moment? Oh, um, yeah, uh, sure. I'm sorry, I don't mean to presume. Um, I, I just noticed that last night, uh, um, a few of you were going somewhere last night. I, I didn't want to bother you, I just... I was a little concerned. Is everything okay? Oh, uh, I'm sorry we didn't tell you. You you told our friends about something that happens in the graveyard, and uh, I suppose it was a morbid curiosity. Um, Kiva's like looking directly at her fucking feet. It was uh, quite unsettling, just as you described. I'm actually sort of upset I went in the first place. I don't think I'm... Well, I guess I can understand. It's... um. It's easy to feel uh, angry at yourself sometimes when things happen. I, I know that this village can be a bit um, off-putting to some folks. Um, I mean, I've lived here my life 
but um, I know that outsiders can sometimes see it as strange or eerie, and I'm, I'm sorry that that was the first thing you got exposed to, um, or one of them. Um, I, I'm sorry about everything, really. Um, this is... I'm sure you didn't ask to be brought here. It hasn't been all bad. I have been exposed to some um, beautiful things as well. So, um, anyway, uh, yeah, I didn't ask to be brought here, but um, trying to make the most of it. That's all that any of us can do, I guess. It's it's tough when you feel like you're in a situation where there's nothing really you can do, but I guess, you know, the best you can do is stand up and do what you think is right, right? Uh, yes. Um, have you managed to, um, pardon my assumption, but uh, convince your brother to, uh, to put your father at rest? Well, he seems willing to to do that. I, I don't think that he, you know, doesn't want a father to uh, go to his rest, but it's irritating. He still thinks that it's too dangerous for me to wander the streets beyond the house. I can understand why he's so frightened for me, you know. Beyond the threshold of a home, anything can find you, but I understand he means well. He wants what's best for me. He wants me to be safe, and frankly, after what happened to our father, I I don't know. It, it feels like, on the one hand, it feels like running away. On the other hand, it feels like leaving a place I wasn't meant to be, if that makes sense. Well, I, I can say that sometimes the horrors that we're trying to run away from are already inside of our homes. Um, so the best thing that you can do is just try to fight the way you can and hope that things change. Um, I was on the run before this, and um, so if you, if you want to go and, and you need someone to take you where you're going, I'm, I'm fine to go with you. Um, I know what it's like to feel like you're running away from a place that you belong, but also a place that you probably should never have been in the first place. So um, I guess all this to say that uh, I know a little bit of what you're going through, and I wouldn't wish it on... Uh, my worst enemy, let alone uh, such a kind stranger. So, um, I can be here for you, however you need me to be. Irina chuckles and says, "Well, I think uh, I, I think I appreciate that. And who knows? Maybe we'll both find what we're looking for." I hope so. DM. Oh, yes. Oh no, I was just wondering because Metrion was coming down the stairs. Does he hear this at all, or see Kiva talking to I Irina? Can, you can hear muffled voices coming from the drawing room. I'll give you a perception check to see here. Twelve. I would say you can hear like an occasional word. You can cast the gist of the conversation, and you do so uh, just in time to hear Irina say, "Well, I." Regardless, uh, in the meantime, I just wanted to, after last night, just wanted to let you know to be careful. I know I sound too much like my brother, but going out at night isn't always the safest thing to do, and sometimes, you know, I think he's more he's a bit overprotective sometimes, but. And that mark, he might not be too far off. So I just wanted to let you know. Well, and uh, we will be per we will be safe, love. Uh, Kiva, a moment with you just upstairs. Is it something to take care of? Oh, um, of course. Kiva, for the first time, looks up at Irina and sort of stares at her for a minute too long, and then she will follow Metrion right away. What the fuck are you doing? I'm not doing anything. What the fuck are you doing? I thought we were agreeing not to do this. I thought we were gonna go out, get 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 out of here. Just. Uh, what was the look on your face? Look, I said it... 
Listen, I don't have to explain anything to you. I... And what was your look on your face with Ismark? I mean... That's not the point. Listen, we, we had an agreement back at the tavern. We get in, we get out. We're already into the, in this too deep. I'm not saying she doesn't want to go anyway. I just said if she wanted to, that maybe I would be interested in going with and her. There's no we sense in putting ideas in her head. All right. Look, she's stubborn as it is, apparently, so there's no worry about it. Did you find anything upstairs while you were poking around? Nothing of value, really. I will. I mean, I did find this, and he'll pull the book on monsters out, just enough out of his jacket pocket so that she can see, but not enough that it's, like, visible for anybody else. I found Kiva's, this. Kiva sort of turns her body and, like, it's sort of like an innocuous turn, but just to shield what it is. Well, that looks like it might come in handy, so we should keep that. I was going to talk to Ismark and see about getting a map and perhaps some provisions for the road. Apparently this mercantile is a bit of a pain in the ass to deal with. And I don't have any gold. I don't know about the situation for the rest of you. All I've got is those three useless fucking scrolls. So, I don't know, maybe I can barter with them, but... It looks like financially we're sort of fucked, so maybe we should take advantage of the food and the hospitality at least until we can get a bearing on what we're going to be doing uh, Amity and uh, Randy have some gold up there so I won't worry too much but uh, oh by the way if you need some armor your girlfriend's got some up there and uh, Metran will start to walk past her she's not oh my god whatever Kiva will follow down and again just not looking straight and especially at the girlfriend comment Yes, Metron actually wants to go find uh, Lillison. Uh, yes, as the two of you return to the kitchen, you can see Lillison evidently still sleeping, kind of tucked away in a corner by the pantry as the delicious smell of Amity's pancakes hit you, and you can see the tiefling kind of piling them high onto a few slightly cracked but clean and nice enough plates as she begins handing them out. Amity, how do the pancakes look? Well, they're very large. Like, each one fills an entire pan, and they're basically stacked with a bunch of just random fruit from the pantry. They're sort of lumpy and non-uniform, but they're fluffy. All right, as you pass them out, everyone taking a pancake if they would like to. Uh, Lillison, are you still asleep? Lillison has been awake for a while. She's just pretending to be asleep. Uh, you're still pretending. Gotcha. Yes. All right. As you sit down and eat your pancakes, uh, is there anything you'd like to do? Metron will take up the pancake with the fruit and uh, kind of like fold it like a taco and start to eat it. But he's going to go ahead and like when he sees Lillison, I assume that she's kind of like turned towards the wall. Was that what you were saying? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, seeing that, he'll kind of like kick her, the heel of her boot. Oi. Lillison is going to kind of kick slightly back. Well, I know you're, I know you're awake. Arith and Deer is just watching all this, taking gentle portfuls of his pancake and doing his best not to laugh. You're aware you can like just talk to her, right? She's been awake for like an hour. Well, you know, it's it's generally polite to uh, look at people when you're speaking to them, isn't it? Eh, I think if she wanted to look at us, she would not be facing the wall, curled up in a ball. Uh, are Ismark and Irina in the kitchen with us? Yes, they are. And as they do, you can see uh, Ismark tentatively taking a bite of the pancake and then nodding, smiling to himself. And Irina takes a bite and then cuts it, then takes another bite. And at that point, she kind of like, has her cheeks kind of stuffed a bit full. These are really good! <laughs> yeah, no, that's the power of flour, butter, and sugar. It's a beautiful thing. So, yeah, no, Amity, you did great. Thanks. 
I'm surprised you've never heard of pancakes before. Maybe, can you show me some of the, the things you've picked up? Um, as Mark chuckles, well, it, it's not much. I can make a uh, decent steak as you've had, some stews, some basic vegetables. Truth be told, if you'd been said you'd hungry, I probably would have tried to find some bread and cheese, maybe some dried fruits. This is uh, a bit of a ways beyond what we usually eat. So for that, I thank you. This is, this is delicious. You know what's delicious is your meat. It was fantastic last night. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do my best to uh, get it right. I know we don't have access to much seasoning, but um, it is very good to hear that you enjoyed it. So thank you. That is a, that is a very That's nice Earth from Deer has pulled out his handkerchief and is just silently losing it as he pretends to blow his nose. Eva's face is against the wall and she's just trying not to smash it against things. <laughs> Lilith's shoulders are shaking a little bit as she tries to keep up the pretense that she's asleep. Make uh, a stealth check. Well, yeah, no, it uh, was some very, very nice food. Whew! Sorry, uh, don't don't know what's become of me this morning. So, thank Amity, these pancakes are great! <laughs> uh-huh. Mm, yum. So, how does everyone feel about a shopping trip later? <laughs> well, uh, Ismark, uh, you were mentioning that the mercantile here is not uh, entirely favorable towards outsiders, was that it? Not as such. It is uh, Bildras mercantile. He can be a bit prickly at some times, but um, in general, that is toward uh, everyone. He is not especially hostile to anyone, just uh, anyone that he thinks he can squeeze for some gold. I would uh, note before we discuss that, I was wondering you said that you might be willing to discuss in the morning and I, I don't want to overstep but uh do you have any thoughts about whether you might be able to uh, help uh Irina and I uh with our uh, travels oh yes that well I think uh, perhaps we can talk about that after we know how many supplies we can get for the journey does that seem reasonable friends and she's gonna sort of look at the group like say yes please yeah that sounds sensible is that okay with you? Of course, that would not be a problem. I would be glad to show you the way to the mercantile if that would help. Uh, yeah, no, that actually would be lovely. Although, speaking of which, Erthrandir kind of pulls a piece of parchment from his pocket. You notice that he's had to abandon his old tunic and go into what looks roughly like kind of a ranger's uniform, which he looks very ill at ease in. The sleeves are far too short, and his pants are like three inches above his shoes. At any rate, I've uh, managed to put together a bit of a shopping list, but uh, I don't actually know what kind of money we've got on hand. Like, again, not to presume, everyone has personal funds, but if what Ismark and Irina say is true and we are stuck here, then there might be some supplies that behoove us to have. Like, for instance, some better weapons for a few of us, some actual armor, fire starters, food that'll last, stuff like that. So. Uh, not to be, well, okay, yes, to be inconsiderate. What kind of coin are we playing with? And he's have, directing this specifically at the party. I have nothing to offer, but um, I'm going to go spend a little bit of time with those scrolls, if that's okay, to see if maybe we can barter them for some of those nicer things you're talking about. You were looking at them all morning. If you haven't gotten them in three hours, you're probably not going to get more by staring at them really hard. You're all right. What about the rest of y'all? Have you got any decent funds on hand. I've got about 900 copper. Alright, that's something. 
I mean, I have these on my hand, but I, I would rather not part with them if it's possible. And he kind of thrums his fingers and shows off the gold rings that he stole from Durstoust. Well, I guess I can't reasonably ask you to sell your possessions. Lillison, I know you're awake. You didn't have to tell everybody like that, though. I didn't, but it was funny. Lillison rolls over onto her back and sort of tips her head back to look at everybody upside down. How are your ribs? uh, They don't really bear speaking of. Um, before I tell you what I own, Erthrindir, do you have my mess kit? Uh, Oh, yeah, 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 and he will bolt upstairs and return with a handful of forks and knives and such. There you go. Thank you. And Lillison pushes herself up to a sitting position. Sometime during the night, she had gotten out, like, an actual bedroll and bundled up in it near the fire. And so now she is sitting up in it, kind of like a a little sad, socially distanced cocoon, and reaches out to take the mess kit back. And she says, I have a tinderbox. And, well, we have you, so I think we're good on fire starters, at least. I'm mostly concerned about food and extra water skins and everything else I feel is rather extra beyond that. Reasonable. I suppose we really don't have the wherewithal to try and get some sort of protection anyway. Well, in that case, that's a nine gold between us. That'll do for more food and water. That'll do perfectly. Mark, what do you think? Is uh, nine gold sufficient? Nine gold, uh, it depends on what you are looking for. For uh, minor things that um, are not over much expense, it should be fine. For uh, things of perhaps higher make or more complex make, things that might have been crafted by artisans or otherwise shipped to Bildrath from outside of Barovia, that might be a bit pricier. But for more common tools, I don't think you should run into uh, any major or notable issues. Well, that's our decision made, I suppose. Let's head over after we finish these, and he will continue stuffing his face. Yes, if uh, I can make one request, so perhaps we stop at... uh, Is the blood on the vine open at this hour? Uh, I imagine that uh, this early in the day, it might not be entirely available. We might be able to see if Eric is open or awake. We can certainly take a look. Uh, But usually it doesn't get busy until noon. Erthrindir just gives him a withering look over his pancakes and mouths 10 a.m. and then looks down again. Metrion notices this and just kind of like whispers towards him. Uh, just you know, uh, for later, not for now. Definitely. I'm not a drunk. And he uh, takes his wineskin out and has a little sip of it and puts it away back under his jacket. No, no, certainly. Definitely not. Erythrindir is obviously just kind of humoring you at this point. So while this discussion is going on, Kiva sort of heartened in that like defensive way about like, no, I'm going to figure these scrolls out, takes them out and holds them in her hands. And she closes her eyes and you hear her mumble something in Elvish, Erythrindir. And as she does so, you, um, anyone watching her can see these little vine-like floral tendrils sort of coming out of her hands and connecting where her fingers are touching the scrolls. And she is going to use her magic awareness to decipher what the scrolls are. 
Expand your senses. You feel yourself tapping into a well of energy deep within you. And as you do, the first indication that it's connected is a sense. You smell the scent of faint lavender drifting past your nose. You feel an older woman's breath on your shoulder and you feel arms curling around you in a gentle hug. And you feel safe and warm and familiar. And then you open your eyes. And if anyone's looking, you can see that Kiva's eyes are now a thin sheen of bright blue that covers the entirety of the whites of her eyes and her pupils that flickers faintly with light. And as you watch tiny green sparks flash across the depths of the blue there, Kiva, you open your senses and feel around you. And unfortunately, these scrolls, they seem to bear not exactly magic as you're looking for. You feel that they seem to contain some sort of magic, but the schools of magic that you sense are interesting. You feel that there is bound within one of these spells, bound within this scroll. It seems to be some kind of abjuration magic. The one beside it seems to be some kind of evocation. Get it out of here. That is quite Whoa. a trick. So after dealing with that, and she's sort of crying a little bit because of the nice, safe, warm feeling, she's going to put the scrolls down and explain what she figured out about them to the group and say, personally, I'm not really sure we should be using these ourselves because where we found them. But knowing what we know, maybe we can spice things up a little bit to see if we can trade these for some nicer things, knowing that they are magical. Oh, oh, they're, oh, obviously, they're spell scrolls. Oh, no, they're spell scrolls. Oh, no, that bodes not well. So, so just, can anyone use these? Like, if we barter them, can anyone use them and potentially the bad magic? Or does that mean that only casters can use them? Would I know this or would I need to check for this? Make an arcana check for me. Got you. 17. 17. You definitively know that only certainly trained practicers of the arcane, and depending on what source of their power, whether it be arcane or divine or primal in some way, can decipher certain spells that are attuned to their particular style and mechanism of magic. As far as you can tell, whatever spell work is worked into these scrolls, it's not a manner or a technique that you have any familiarity with. <laughs> well, we can't read them, which means we can't cast them, which means that you need to be drawn on a specific type of power to cast them, which means that unless, you know, Mr. Bildraith or whoever he is is a ravishingly powerful sorcerer, he's probably not going to get any use out of them. Lillison has wiggled her way out of her cocoon by now and climbed slowly to her feet. She doesn't say anything. She just keeps looking over towards the scrolls. Kiva, no one told me elves could grow plants out of their hands. Oh, um, my... I can sort of do it. I've been able to do it since I was a child, but my, my mother is um, part fae, so um, it's sort of something she could always do, I was told, and it was passed on to me. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, man, I I wish I had that kind of ancestral magic would be a lot more useful. That's brilliant. It's uh, come in handy a few times, but um, since being here, I've noticed um, I feel much closer to her than I have before. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. 
At any rate, I uh, don't think we're getting any use out of these. Okay, so should we toss them or, or maybe just keep them for a rainy day? No, no, don't toss them. But, you know, perhaps perhaps we'll find someone who we can bother them with. If not this Bildrath, then uh, another figure. Just keep them on us and uh, who knows, they may come in handy at some point. So Kiva yeah, will put them in a sort of community pot, which Lillison would have access to, where we're sort of like, here's our funds and what we can use. Yeah, Lillison steps, like maybe two steps closer, and goes, may I see? Oh, of course, and she'll hand them over to you. DM, is yes. there, looking over them closely, is there anything here that Lillison might be familiar with? No, it is entirely alien to you. All three of them. Okay. Um, is there at least some sort of check to see that they are, in fact, like, magical scrolls and not just, you know, random scribblings? With Erthrandir's uh, arcana check, he would recognize these as proper spell scrolls, yes. Okay, cool. Well, guess we didn't get lucky. At any rate, y'all ready to get going? I'm ready. Excellent. It is all of the He'll look and see if there's another pancake left. If there's not, he'll just take a scoop up of the fruit that Amity had prepared for the pancakes and just, like, stuff it in his face. Kiva will also do the same and just sort of, like, pick a quick breakfast. (laughs) Oh, right. Amity, Lillison. I, right, since I got some rest, if y'all are still hurting, I can see if I can try a bit of magic on your injuries. I mean, again, Amity, I don't think it'll fix it, but it might make you a bit more comfortable. Oh, it's worth a shot. If if you're okay with, uh, using it right now uh yeah he kind of looks at Irina. do you have a wooden spoon or something she can bite down on Irina looks a bit concerned and then nods and fetches one from a uh, small drawer nearby okay sorry this so uh y- you may not have noticed from but down there apparently in this wherever we are this hurts a lot so uh I got you. You can grab my hand if you want. And he is going to, when she's ready, cast Healing Word, trying to see if he can kind of clean up the foot a bit and make it so she's not walking around with an open wound. MD grits her teeth and closes her eyes, her tail sticking straight out behind her. Do it. Okay. Healing Word. All right. With that, you watch as Erthrandir casts Healing Word, carving the arcane rune into the air before casting the spell upon Amity's ankle. Amity, you feel a searing, burning pain as you watch the veins begin to tinge and turn black, swelling up around the source of the injury. You can watch some of the flesh begin to knit together, some of the skin coming together, and then stopping. The pain is terrible, but eventually it slowly fades. And as you look down, you can see that the injury is still present. It's It looks a bit better, but doesn't appear to have healed over. Fuck. How are you doing all right? Yeah. Emily uh, <clears throat> tries putting some a little bit of weight on it, but <laughs> it, that's not going to fix. It's I it's just a don't stress it, please. You might break it wide open again. All right. It it's it, it's better for now, I guess. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> he turns to Lillison kind of abashedly. So, after that display, you may not be too eager, but if you'd like me to take a look at those ribs? I would be much obliged if you would. Okay. You want the spoon? No, I will be fine. Your choice. And 
he's going to draw his wand out, trace the same healing rune, and attempt to see what he can do for her. All right, Lillison, you feel that burning, twisting sensation, and this time, instead of seeing it on the outside, you feel something twisting and piercing at the center of your torso. It almost feels like your intestines are burning and gnarling around one another, and then it slowly recedes, and you can feel yourself breathing easily. Experimentally, you try taking a deep breath, and you feel no pain. Lillison clenches her teeth and, like, makes a tiny strangled noise while this is happening, but afterwards just takes in a very deep breath and then slumps down a little bit, looks at Erythrindir, and just smiles. He lets out an enormous sigh of relief and kneels down to be on level with her. You feel better? Much better. Thank you so much. Oh, thank Corellian. And uh, yeah, you're welcome. Hey, since I remembered this spell, I might as well get some use out of it. Take care. And he's going to draw himself up again. Well, shall we? Metreon turns to Irina and with a smile, bearing fangs and berry juice all over his lips. Can we get you anything while we're out? She looks a bit startled for a moment and then smiles, relaxing, and then shakes her head. I think I should be all right. If you see him, though, uh, do tell uh, Bildras' nephew that uh, Miss Koliana says hi. He's a good lad, and I've not had a chance to visit really anyone in the village for quite a while, so I hope he's doing well. Of course, my, my lady. And uh, he'll gently bow his head. Well, ladies and gents, shall we? Of course. And yeah, let's head out. Together you make your way out from the mansion and once more into the misty, dreary streets of Barovia. You leave behind the Burgomaster's mansion, which you've spent the night, and begin making your way through the streets once more, as you can hear the distant drizzle, the mud that slowly sloshes and sludges across the cobble. In the distance, the faint sobs that have been ever-present since you first entered the village. And slowly, as you make your way through the town, this marker guides you up the northern avenue, once more toward the village's central square. As you pass forward through the central avenue of the village, you see a large building to your right that provides some sign of life. And as you do, you see Ismark kind of stop and nod toward it. You can see that the sparse light from this building spills out from behind drawn, heavy curtains. A sign over the door, creaking on its hinges, reads, Bildrath's Mercantile. Ismark gives a nod and gestures with a hand and a smile. Well, it looks like uh, we have arrived. Welcome to Bildrath's. Just do not uh, be uh, too put off. As I said, he is not the uh, most friendliest person. Evidently. With how little sunlight y'all get here, I'd be surprised anybody draws their curtains. You want what you can. Does it always rain here? It does not always rain. It is quite frequent. It has been wetter than late, unfortunately. It's a bit of a dreary sight. Sometimes it is dry out. There is mist and fog. Sometimes it is light, overcast. You know, it can get quite a bit nicer than this. Oh, yeah, no, I can imagine. With a sort of a low-lying climate like this, with banks of fog, it must be really lovely at some times of year. Lillison looks around the group, and her brow furrows a bit, and she says, Given what we've heard of the disposition of this man, uh, which of us is best at not being thrown out of shops? Well, that's clearly <laughs> me. 
I feel like Amity is the most personable of any one of us. Well, no offense Amity. to the others, just mild, mildly taken. But I take your point. But at the same time, well, you know. There are the matter of the horns. Yep. Oh, right. Um, okay, so which one of us looks the least assuming then? Probably me or Are Lillison. we only sending one person in? Yeah, actually, let's. we could just overwhelm him with sheer force of weirdness. I found that works more often than you'd think. It could also hide us from maybe taking things that we can't afford to help bolster our packs. I would... If you do that while I'm in there, you're on your own. No idea, you're not on your own. I knew someone would understand. With that lovely aside, shall we? Metron will look over at Amity before they all go in. Listen, uh, just stay close, all right? I, I'm with Aethrin here on this one. Fine, see yourself. All right. You make your way inside, leaving the distant sobs and the pitter-patter of the rain outside and entering into this small, dreary shop. As you do, the bell over the door chimes with a hollow, tinny sound, and inside you can immediately see a motley assortment of equipment and gear hanging from the walls. Much of the items you can see are aged or worn, though a few of them bear bright, even flamboyant colors. The back wall is covered entirely by wooden shelves that groan beneath the weight of their many wares. The only bare space you can see is a half-open wooden door from which you can hear beyond the sound of sweeping. A candelabra dripping with wax burns with candlelight atop a wooden desk that's around a dozen feet into the storefront. Behind it, you can see skulking an unpleasant-looking lump of a man. His face is pallid, his eyebrows bushy, and his bare head is dotted with withered black hairs. His dark eyes narrow as you enter, his cheeks puffing out like a frog's as he speaks, wheezing, New me! <laughs> what are you be buying? Oh, we'll, we'll be buying a fair bit. Just give us a moment. We need to see what you got. He grunts, and Ismark waves a hand. Master Bildrath, it is good to see you. I hope that you have been uh, keeping well. Bildrath snorts. Where's all can be doing? You here to buy something? Or you just hear the skull. This mark sighs. My friends were hoping to take a look around. Bildrath snirks and says, Right. Well, if you see anything that you're looking to boil, let me know. Of course. Yeah. Earthrendir is kind of immediately drawn to the brightly colored equipment on the walls just because everything he's seen so far in Barovia has been drab. Can he take a look at that? What are you looking at in particular? The brighter colored things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems unusual. Sure, you see, looking around in the walls, some of the brighter things seem to be some sets of travelers' clothes. You can see what appears to be a grappling hook decorated with bright, almost garish colors, beside which rests a, a few vials of colorful perfumes. On the opposite side, you can see a hooded lantern that seems to have once been painted in deep golds and silvers, but it's, you know, faded and flecked over the years of the paint, aging and peeling off with time until you can see the dark black cast iron beneath, though a few bits of the original coat of paint still linger. Deer looks at the grappling hook and, like, actually squeals a little. Oh, my darling, I would have been thrilled to have you about a day ago. Uh, excuse me, sir. How much for this little number up here? And he's going to motion to it. All right. 
that'll be... He pauses for a moment, thinking, rubbing and scratching his chin on the jowls there. If you want, that'll be 20 gold pieces. 20? I... I, I, uh... All right. Yeah, no, let me, uh, let me think about it. I might find something I want more, and... He kind of frantically whispers to Ismark, Is the exchange rate here different? Do you... Is is silver your base? What? That's... Ismark shakes his head. I told you, you've met Biltrath. Yes, but that is, like, three months' wages. I know. I... What? Erythrindir looks at the grappling hook and just kind of sighs. Well, then. Uh, that's another time, old friend. Another time. So, what is everyone else looking at? Did you say that there was any kind of armor here? There is not any armor here, I'm afraid. There doesn't seem to be anything of particular note. Okay. Does he have crossbow bolts? There does appear to be something that was once, like, maybe a vase for flowers, but it's cracked and the clay has been worn over time. There seem to be a number of depictions of wolves in the interior, and inside there seem to be maybe 20 or 30 crossbow bolts all point up of varying makes and sizes. Good man. How much for these yeah. bolts? For 20 of them. That'll be 10 gold pieces. Well, come now, we can do something better than that. I mean, I'm buying in bulk. That's nice. It's 10 gold pieces. I could do f- seven on them. Look. Why, man? How much you drank that your skin turned purple, I don't care. I've, if it turned I've, gold, I, I wouldn't let you trade yourself in. Oh, you do. Sorry. He scowls. Look. Outsider, you might not be familiar with the ways that things work here, but if you're looking for something to buy, then you'll pay the price that's being sold. Now, do you want them or not? Well, that doesn't seem very reasonable because we're offering you gold anyway, so, and it doesn't seem like you have a lot of customers, so maybe some gold is better than the ridiculous upcharging that you're doing. Oh, for the love of all. Look, I am... I don't get up in the morning so that I can have a bunch of pointy-eared freaks tell me how to run my business. Look, if you're looking to buy, then buy. If you want badly enough, you'll pay. If not, that ain't no skin off my back. You're buying, or are you gonna fuck off? Metran whispers to Kiva, well, clearly he doesn't want this stuff to move. It's a shame, because I actually had something I was looking at buying. Maybe it's a hoarder or something. I don't really feel he's worth my business. Good sir, I, I appreciate your candor. Uh, we'll be looking elsewhere. Metron's gonna <laughs> Good luck kind of with walk that. the back. Dead houses and dead men don't tend to have much for sale. I'll see you back here tomorrow. <laughs> Is Mark, where do you usually go grocery shopping? Truth be, I mean, for basic, you know, food and such, I mostly have a few friends who managed to put together some uh, hunting materials, trade what I can, but if you're looking for proper gear and equipment, Buildrath is your only option, I'm afraid. I try not to come here too much. He uh, he sets a bit of a high bar sometimes. Are there any other traders around, period? Like in this Velaki place, or you mentioned out in anything? Willocky, I am sure that... Um, oh, yes. Willocky is a proper city. I know that... Or not a city, but a town. I'm sure it's smaller than what you city folk and outsiders uh, are uh, comfortable with. But um, Willocky, from what I have heard, has a, a number of uh, 
marketplace items that might be available, but Barovia, I'm afraid, is... We are a smaller village, and we have been uh, hard hit by uh, our geography, one might say. He... I'm sorry, if I knew any others, I would, I would tell you, I promise. No, it's understandable. While this conversation is going on, Lillison is just, like, looking around the store every so often, picking something up, looking at it, putting it down. She edges over towards the grappling hook, and she is going to just quietly steal it. Yes. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Make a, uh, oh, my God. God. You love to see it. Make a sleight of hand check for me. Oh, my God. Well... Oh, oh my god, that is wow. a natural one. That is Perfect. a natural one. Right. As you reach up for it and begin to tuck it into your uh, satchel, you instantly feel eyes burning on the back of your neck. Oi! You there! Go. Yes, yes. Put that back. If you ain't gonna buy nothing, get the fuck out of my shop. I've got no truck with thieves. You hear me? I'm sorry, I was just moving it to see how it felt in it my weight. Back, little girl. She puts it back with just like the widest little shit eating grin. I don't take no disrespect from what you get the fuck out of my shop. While that was happening, no. uh, Metron is going to try and steal at least half of the bolts from the vase. Oh using, my god. Using oh, this whole thing as a uh, distraction. Make a slate of hand check with advantage. Nice, come on. It's 21. They swoop away innocently into your satchel before uh, Bildreth even gets a chance to notice. Okay. And so I took half. Is that, what, uh, 10 or 15? Uh, I mean, amongst the total, it was, you know, like 30, 35 bolts. So I'd say that's another 15 or so. Okay, cool. Thank you. Earthrim Deer just kind of looks around at all this size and brings a water skin up to the counter. Let me guess. 400 gold in the Duke's daughter's hand in marriage. He glowers. What the fuck you on about? How much is the water skin? Water skin? <laughs> you can have that for two gold. He sets it down on the counter. Have a good day, sir. Bless your heart. And he is going to walk out. Well. Ismark, I, I appreciate the warning, but I think you kind of... If anything, understated him. <laughs> Good lord. Bismarck winces. I'm sorry. He looks around. Is there anyone else who's still perusing the shelves? Kivo's going to try to take something, but she's also just very angry right now, so she's just going to leave. All right. Is Amity still there? No, Amity um, follows them out. As uh, Metreon follows Amity and Kiva, and as soon as they're kind of like out of sight of the front of the shop, he opens up the top of the satchel and kind of shows off what he took to Kiva and Amity. <laughs> Look at you. He'll close the flap on his satchel before, like, his marker or anyone else can see it. Lillison uh, takes one last impudent look around and then comes out. Does she come out in time to catch the bolts in Metreon's pack? I would say so. She just gives Metreon a little nod. He flashes her a cocky wink and uh, keeps walking with the others. Well, Amity I... wants to whisper to Metreon, you weren't joking about robbing Bismarck and Irina blind, were you? No, why do you think I was? Because you said you were joking? Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I wasn't joking. Well, Bismarck that winces and nods. I am sorry. I, I probably should have given greater notice. I, I thought that, you know, we're just so used to build Rathir. It's. I'm sorry you 
had to leave with hands empty. He I, just lives here. You're fine. I think you gave us quite sufficient notice. It's just that, well... I think he's just an arsehole. Yes. Pretty succinct. Well, we have gotten uh, nothing out of that deal, so I guess that leaves us with the old question. What do we do now? We need food if we want to leave this place. We don't Have know we... how many days. Actually... Food will not be a no problem. I'm more than glad to do what I can to provide rations for the course of any journeys you might take. Oh, uh, thank you, okay. Ismark. We should really get back to your manor and discuss... Uh, just discuss things uh, from here on out. I think that we all have a lot to talk about. I do agree. And with that, uh, assuming you follow, Ismark guides you back to the mansion and slowly making his way through the dreary streets, you leave the softly swinging sign of Bildreth's Mercantile behind as the mist swallows it up and you find yourselves once more outside of the old, hunched over, torn apart Burgomaster's Mansion, the familiar scarring of fire and claws on the outside of the trampled yard. But at least as you make your way forward, you see Irina peering out from behind a window, and as she sees you pass through the gates, she offers a small smile and a wave and moves toward the door. And as Kiva you, waves back. As you approach the front entrance, you hear the clicking of the door, and it opens. Irina raises an eyebrow. You don't look like you've purchased too many things. The prices were a bit steep, love, and uh, we weren't able to find your friend Perry, but uh, we'll, we'll make do. Oh, I'm sorry. I trust Bildrath was uh, Bildrath then. He is somehow one of the most loathsome human beings I've met. <laughs> it, it, he can be a bit difficult to get along with. Um, here, coming out of the, the cult, I'll see what I can do to make sure that everything, everyone's one again. Come on. Thank come you. On. She ushers you inside. And she pauses for a moment. Though that was not the formal invitation, she blinks, offering a bit of an awkward smile. I'm not sure how these works, but uh, you know the thrill. And she points through the threshold and shrugs. I think if we were one of those, y'all would have been dead last night already. <laughs> Fair enough. And she just steps back and allows you to proceed inside. All right. Arthur is going to take a seat in sort of the parlor area and attempt to wrangle his hair into something useful. And then looks around at the others. Well, his Mark Irina... I realize this takes a lot of gall to say in your own house, but could you step out for a moment? I, uh, there are a few things I'd like us to be able to discuss in private before we come to a decision. We, they don't have to step out. We can step in. Let us, we, we've got rooms that we can uh, go to. Just give us uh, a little bit, won't you? We'll be down in time for lunch. Much better idea. <laughs> and he'll head upstairs. Metron kind of shakes his head at Erythrindir and uh, starts to follow. Ismark opens his mouth like he's about to say something, and then Irina elbows him and rolls her eyes, and Ismark chuckles and nods. Of course, it is not the problem. Please, take all the time you need. Are the others following, or is it just Arthur and Metreon for the moment? Uh, Amity, Kiva, Lillison? Lillison looks at Ismark and Irina. She winces a little bit, and she says, You are entirely too gracious to us. And then she turns and goes up the stairs. Amity will follow. Kiva will follow uh, as well. All right. Together you make your way up the stairs 
and are able to seclude yourself as you please away from Aruna and Ismark. The room is quiet, and there's a fire burning in the twin fireplace that joins the two bedrooms. Evidently, it seems that Irina was keeping it well-stocked while you were out. There's nothing but you and the quiet flickering of embers. Well, shit. Yeah, that's about the mood for the day. But, uh, shopping misadventures inside. I've been thinking. From what they've told us about this... Strahd guy, or Zonzarovich, or whatever. And from what Kiva and Amity and I saw last night, I think anything that puts us on a collision path with that man is dangerous. Wait, wait, what did you see last night? Erythrindir will briefly explain the March of the Dead. Yeah, and then there's way too many people to be in those graveyards, which means, and they all looked like outsiders, so... Take what you can from that. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I slipped through that. Um, so what do we want to do, though? I'm in favor of just getting the hell out of here, but... I mean, Valakai, this was it Valakai they said, was was the most secure the settlement. See, it's nearby. Maybe they'll have more reasonable uh, stockists there. Uh, people who will, you know, not try to price gouge us. Can kind of re-up supplies there and trying to figure out a way to get the hell out of here. I'm also fine to just go. I just, I don't know. No, I, I get you. They've been awful gracious to us. I think, at minimum, we should help them bury their dad before we do anything else, but I, I don't know. I, I do see why safety Why can't they bury the dead? Because Ismark's dominant emotion is fear. We're getting too, too wrapped up in these people. Look. Well... They're the reason we're not out on the street. I tend to agree. I'm not saying we can't get anything out of this bargain, but, you know, he said he would offer us supplies. I'm sure he can offer us some sort of um, armor or something, like Metreon said there was available. Maybe we can try to milk this for what it's worth and settle down in Valakai, where apparently this Strahd person doesn't have a stranglehold. That is a point. Having political connections like this would be uh, very good if we are stuck here for a little bit. I'm not saying we can't, like I said, take what we need, but it makes sense to keep the nicest people on our side for as long as possible. What politics, though? I mean, there's, it's, there's what? Some asshole who's fucking selling things at a 300% markup? Some uh, bent crying through the neighborhood. I don't even know what the fuck that is about. These two, and then, uh, what was it? Some pie woman uh, who's selling those meat pies. There's nothing here. There's nothing. There's no political guy in here. But maybe it could help us get into this next place, or our, at least uh, maybe the people will be kinder to us in, in Valakai if, uh, if... That was my thought. With how we've been treated here, we've got no guarantee that they're gonna just take to us. You know, if it's a place that's actually got, like, people and not a collection of hollowed-out husks, then, you know, maybe we can make something of it? I don't know. I just don't want to walk over there to be told that they don't accept us pointy-eared types and get booted out to the wilderness to have to come back here and beg to be forgiven. Metron takes a sip of his wineskin and uh, looks over at Amity. And that's the other thing. Uh, I mean, 
Amity, I know you're comfortable just kind of being out there all willy-nilly, but I'm not. Uh, and I just... If we do this, if we go with him, I can't just be in this. And he points to his face and his hair. I can't be in this all day and night. It's kind of wears away on the skin. So, I mean, I, don't know, I just don't feel comfortable with it. Uh, and if we go to this Valakai place, you know, maybe if it's bigger, maybe they're maybe a bit more accepting of. of and he points to Amity and back at himself. Our kind. Fine. The big thing we don't know is whether the mist that Ismark was talking about is still there or whether we managed to get rid of it. And if it is still there and we're going to have to be here for a little while, like you said, then Valeki might be a better place. Yeah. For what it's worth, I still vote we check out that mist wall once we are kind of firmly ingratiated with these two. But, yeah. Did you did you all see any mist last night? Saw a shitload of bats. I didn't see any mist that was discernible from the fog that seems to be everywhere in this place, but um, it didn't seem like the mist that that was around the house before, if uh, if that's clear. Well, maybe we go to the gates. We see if there's still mist or if there's still that fucking fog or whatever it was. And if it's there, I mean, that's, that kind of sells what they're telling us. You know, it's, if we're trapped, we're fucking trapped. We've got to, got to make do. That was That's what? a good idea. It, it, it won't take the entire day. We can just go into the gates, and even if they're open, we can we can just come back and get food. Do I remember how many hours walk the it yeah, took I was from say. gates to here? <laughs> uh, yes, you would remember that from Brovia itself to the gates, it was around an hour's walk. Although, to be clear, the mist wasn't gathering behind the gates, right? Or was it? Last you were there. I have a note um, that it was. Yes, huh. it very much was gathered behind the gates. Huh, I must have missed that. All right. In that case, huh. if it's two hours, then yeah, no, that changes things significantly. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, hour there, hour back. We can make it back in time for supper. And just, you know, make sure. If you all wish to go to the gates, then by all means, test out this this theory, but... I am... I... I don't know whether any of you had lives you were hoping to go to in Neverwinter, but I suspect that all of you did more than... well, more than I did. I am rather inclined to believe them when they say that nobody leaves this land, and I don't think that I'm missing out on much, so I think that Personally, at least, my efforts are directed more towards finding out what sort of life is possible here. And if this Falaki place they mentioned is supposed to be more secure, with more people, um, more of a life that can be led, I think we need to go there. And I think that... Going there in a larger party would be safer. I tend to agree with you on that one. I I don't have much waiting for me outside of here, but it seems like going to the fortified place is the safest option, and if we're already on the way there, there's no reason that we can't just take Ismark and Irina along with us. Okay, 
Except a big one, it's just a fucking hold. vampire. Yeah, yeah, like, not to be blunt, but you're telling me that you two are alright with living your lives here, in the land of fog, apparently wandering undead, and where you probably just went through one of the worst experiences of your life. Instead of, you know, if you're gonna find a new life, you don't have much to get back to, great, whatever. You could do that by the sea. Somewhere Look, nice. I could scream and shout and and flay myself open with rage about it all, but it won't change anything, will it? So I might as well just save myself the trouble and the time and just get on with it. I had the worst experience of my life outside of this place, so I'm fine to to do like Lillison says and just maybe resign myself to the fact that this is where I was meant to be. If you guys don't want to agree, that's fine. I'm not saying, I'm not forcing you. And I don't think Lillison is either, but look, if there's really no way out of here, shouldn't we make the most of it? I, we've been here three days and you're giving up. Are you I'm serious? A, I'm a bit of an expert in art. I don't really feel like it's giving up. I, I don't. Making the most of a situation is not giving up, it's just adapting to the circumstances that we're in. Oh, yeah, well, you know what the funny thing about adapting to terrible circumstances is that it makes it very easy to forget that you have the option to leave them. Look, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I get it. Look, it's, it's not an argument. We, we're not all arguing over whether we're all staying or all leaving, okay? Let's just go check out and see if the mists are gone. And if they are, then then some of us can leave and some of us can stay. And if they're not, then, well, there's no discussion at all, right? Amity, it is an argument, because if these two are insistent that, eh, you know, I'll settle down here in the mist-scraped hellhole, then that is an issue, because we're traveling together. We are relying on them for support and ideas. And if you two have written yourselves off already to go and live a life watching the mist out the window, then that is a problem. I By can't all tell means, you- go check out the mists. If they are gone, we will go. We will go with you. It's not foolishness to make plans for multiple eventualities. <sighs> Fine. Come on. We'll go two hours. You're free to do what the hell you want. I don't care. Metreon or Amity, whoever, just I'm gonna go pack. And he will walk out. Metreon's actually been quiet this whole time and it's just been sort of observing everybody. But his eyebrows have been kind of raised towards both Lillison and Aerithrin Deer. But when he uh, mentions Amity and Metreon, he'll uh, kind of snap out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll go with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to stay here and try to get a map of this place from Ismark. So if you guys come back and there's a way out or we need to go farther, we're at least prepared for that. And Kiva will go downstairs and go to talk to the siblings. All right. So Erthrandir and Metreon begin packing their things. Lillison and Amity are staying, I believe. I don't know what Amity is doing, but Lillison, shaking a little bit, is going to go downstairs, nod in passing to Irina and Ismark, and go back to the kitchen and uh, sort of huddle up next to the stove. Amity and Truffle are absolutely going with Erthrandir. Excellent. All right, with that, Kiva, <laughs> if you approach Ismark and Irina, you can see them 
sitting quietly in what was once a probably pretty nice sitting room. There's a bit of furniture that's been torn apart for legs and such. It's just kind of resting on the base of the ground in kind of a half moth-eaten, half disassembled sofa. Uh, you can see Ismark is reading the, a book, and Irene is just kind of sitting on the carpet, her legs tucked up to her chest, staring into the flames of the hearth. As you enter, they look up at you, and as they do, you hear the front door click as Rutherford and Metron and Amity, you can hear their footsteps in the foyer. Irina looks up and gives you an, a nod as you enter. Hey, um, we're nipping out for a bit. We uh, wanted to be... It would help us to have confirmation of what you said about the mist. We don't distrust you. We quite like you've been very gracious, but kind of for the sake of getting it off of all of our minds, we are going to go and check that while we still got daylight. As Mark opens his mouth and you see he has like this kind of like cracked uh, half moon spectacles that don't entirely fit him. He kind of pulls them down his nose, takes in a breath and then closes his mouth again. Sighing, he takes the spectacles off and polishes them slightly with his shirt as he stands. I I suppose it would be fruitless to convince you otherwise. I, I wish that you could take it on faith, but I understand. We haven't known each other long enough and these are strange circumstances to all of us. I Just, if you must go beyond the village, stay on the path, be wary, be quiet, and don't venture into the woods. Alright? He nods. Got it. And kind of stepping forward, he's going to extend a hand. Um, pardon me. Can I see those glasses for a moment? Of course. And he kind of holds them out to you. They're just um, a bit of a hand-me-down. Um, yeah. I don't know if they'll work for you. That I kind <laughs> of have to squint through them. Erythrindir isn't listening. Instead, he's looking down at the grasses and murmuring a little spell. And he is going to cast Mending on the fractured lenses. All right. You watch as the rune of the spell shimmers slightly, a thin glow beginning to spring up around the glasses. And as you watch, you can see a small bit of reddish liquid begin to seep from the cracks, an almost iron coppery smell. And as you watch, the edges of the cracks and fractures in the glass seem to form tiny sinews of flesh that slowly begin knitting back together. It's a discomforting sight that sends shudders down your spine, but when it's done, you see the reddish liquid slowly drying until there's little to nothing left. The tiny sinews vanishing back into the material, and the glass is once more whole in your hands. Earthrendir does like a full body shudder at this, and then kind of pans them back, trying to touch them as little as possible. Here, I've uh, tried to read with cracked ones before, it's no fun. And Plus, you know, kind of, it mars your face. You want kind of a clearer view. Ismark accepts them tenderly and kind of looks over them, tries them on, and then glances down at the half-open book in his hand. These is... These are perfect. Thank you. I, I've never... I've never seen the... It's so clear. It's... Thank you. Magic uh, must be a wonderful gift. It is. <laughs> and from one nearsighted man to another, I get it. He's going to turn. All right. Y'all ready to go? Yeah. Okay. Once they're out on the step, however, he's going to turn to the others and just mouth, Did you see that? Kiva's going to just look, like, deeply upset, because all of these new magic things are just so scary. <laughs> I... It, what the hell? What? 
Metron's jaw is just like clenched right now, and he's just like glaring at Erythrindir, but not saying anything. Can we just uh, I... get, can we just get on with this? I just I just want to check this out. Yeah, yeah. No, sorry. I are you all right? You look real tense. Yeah, I'm just you know you 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 you're casting things, making things look real bad. It's all you know. Just can we just go? <laughs> sure. Right. I'll do. Let's go. And with that, Erthrandir and Metrion, followed by Amity, step out onto the front steps of the mansion and slowly begin making their way through the war-torn yard, out once more onto the misty Barovian street, and leaving the mansion behind in the late morning mist. And as Kiva and Millicent watch them go, that is where we'll pick up after our break. We'll see you all back here soon.